Hi, I'm Szamek Paczowski. I'm a team leader of the QA team in DocPlanner and I want to invite you to my tech talks with people from DocPlanner Tech, the team that is making the healthcare experience more human from the product technical standpoint. For our first episode, I invited Maciej Kamruk, who in DocPlanner is better known as Hans. He is one of our backend team leaders working in the international patient experience team and what's very impressive, he has been working in DocPlanner for five years. Hello Hans, great to have you here today. Hello Przemek and hello to everyone who's listening. Hans, you've been here for five years. From my short perspective, this is a really impressive and unusual for the IT industry. What made you stay here so long? Uh, for me, what's really awesome in DocPlanner is as long as you want, you have a lot of opportunities to grow here. And apart from that, I really believe in the product that we are building and enjoy working with the people who are here. Uh, they are always super happy and embrace the informal atmosphere we have here. And what did your path look like to the moment where are you now, the position of team leader? During that time, I worked in more than 10 different teams and some of them were spinned up for a couple of months and some of them for years. Uh, in DocPlanner, team leadership is a bit different role than in most of the companies because we take uh, changes in team squads as a constant. Uh, so we as a team leaders try to focus on concrete people rather than on the teams. That allowed me to evolve as a team leader while working for multiple teams at the same time. Your team is international. From my team leader perspective, this is a big challenge. We need to be close to people and support them on an ongoing basis. And yet, your team is dispersed between Barcelona and Warsaw. It must be a big challenge for you. How do you deal with it? So if we are talking about my team, like my product team, we have people of five different nationalities. It's For me, it's a mix of people from different cultures and backgrounds, but I believe that the foundation here uh, is that we share similar positive attitude. Before the pandemic started, we used to fly pretty often between the offices to meet, hang out, or just sit and, you know, work together in the same room. Now, as you know, it's kind of limited, but we have Zoom calls, we have Slack, we talk to each other on a daily basis. So I don't feel we lack some connectivity or communication in here. Currently, we have over 100 people in the tech department. When you started, there were only a few of you. What was the team structure then? Actually, I cannot recall what teams we had back then. Uh, it was pretty informal, I guess. Uh, I joined the company couple of months before first big changes took place. We had a couple of financial rounds during the last years and grown rapidly from around 100 employees to 1500 folks. And relating to your previous question, we have this really, really agile approach when it comes to the teams. So some of them are tied to really concrete parts of our domain, like the revenue team for all of the invoices and financials. But a lot of the teams change pretty rapidly to adapt better to what we need in the current situation. Um, in one sentence, one thing that's constant for the teams is the change. But despite this, we manage to organize it the way that we are not strangers to each other. We actually know ourselves pretty well, and regardless of the team. Speaking about your work experience in DocPlanner, I'm thinking, of course, about merging with Dr. Aria. I can imagine that it must have been an enormous project to merge the site that is used by millions of users monthly with another website. 
And about your thoughts on this, I guess that you're totally right. On the web, you can easily find a lot of articles saying, for example, 80% of company mergers fail. Well, we aimed for this 20%. Despite this approach in most of the companies that perform a fusion, I've been working for the last two years in the team that handled this challenge. And you know, company stakeholders were totally aware of this. But at the same time, they believed in the people they hired. So kind of thought like, forget about the other companies, let's do it. And in the end, fighting a lot of obstacles, we managed to migrate our services to a single platform in 11 countries, each of them overnight without shutting down the service to the users. So how did it all begin with? So, you know, I always liked the doc planner for staying as transparent with people who work here as much as possible. And because of that, we had, for example, some hallway all-hands gatherings with our CEO and the whole company to share some important news and answer some tough questions, which everybody could ask. And as the company grew, of course, we decided to go for the teleconferences with these meetings because you basically cannot host 1,500 people on a hallway, right? But anyway, I will never forget one of these meetings in 2016 when Marius told us that we just acquired $20 million from another financial round and we are spending that money to join our forces with our past biggest competitor, Dr. Alia. Dr. Alia, they, they had a good product and a great team, including a well-established IT department. They successfully operated in a lot of European and South American countries and also Australia. And, you know, it was a great moment for us. But at the same time, we started to feel super anxious about it, about, you know, how we're going to work together and how our product will look like in the future. What was your strategy to success? So long story short, we had similar product and market goals. Both services allowed to book a visit, write opinions about the doctors, ask them some questions. Of course, in a bit a different way, but in general, from the user's perspective, it was pretty much the same. And for us, the main difference actually was the tech stack, because Polish product was developed in the PHP stack, while the Spanish one was in the .NET. And now, you know, let's face it, how do you want to roll out new features in this scenario? Write them twice for both platforms or solve the same bugs twice? That would be really hard and inefficient, so this is why we decided to make a fusion. But it wasn't a single day job, though. It took us uh, over two years, but we finally made it. And looking at where we are now, I am 100% sure it was worth it. And what were your assumptions at the beginning? When we are talking about our product, we can split it into two parts. So you have one part for the patients, which we call a marketplace. This is the place where you can find a doctor, book a visit and so on. There's also another site dedicated for the doctors where they have their calendars, manage their patients plus other features which we call SaaS. It's worth noting that even if we had two marketplaces, SaaS was a product of only Dr. Alia. That time, Doc Planner had its calendar management incorporated into the marketplace. 2016 was also the year when all of the microservices hype started. So we were really, really impressed with Dr. Alia's developers' job on that. So I'm getting this right that you wanted to merge not single, but two products from two different companies? Nope. 
at the moment of our fusion, SAS was at the beginning of its shiny road, so we decided to introduce it to every country that the planner had. But the marketplace is a different story. As I said before, it was pretty large and feature-rich in every country of both companies, so it required a different approach. Like, we decided to move all of the Doctoralia marketplace countries to our PHP platform. And here's a couple of our main assumptions that we had. We created a dedicated team for this. We call it Merge. We we are migrating 11 countries. We migrate each country as a whole, not chunked. We start with smaller countries, with small data sets, then move on to the big ones. Why? If we fail, let's fail early and it will cost us less. If the next country in the queue has some features missing, we develop them first. And the last one, I believe, is that we do our best to keep our services running during the merge process. Doesn't it sound a little bit naive? Well, you know, maybe, but this is how we did it in the end. One thing that was naive for sure were our estimations, because we firstly assumed that this whole thing would take a couple of months, not years. How did you handle data transfer? I imagine that it was a big challenge. Well, I don't know if you are aware of that, but we already migrated other countries to our marketplace before, like Turkey, for example. But it was a totally different scenario at that time. And we couldn't call ourselves experts. We had to figure it out, learn it, basically. And we had three approaches. CSV files, failed ETL integration, and our custom solution. And one thing about the CSV files, they maybe sound cheap, but I must say that this approach works great if your payload or the platform is relatively small. And what did the process look like? Pretty easy, actually. We extracted some normalized data from the Doctorella database, then pushed them to our proof-of-concept importers that we created. And, you know, it was just just easy, clickable. It required a bit of manual work in Excel, but our product owner had no problems with it. So he was really happy because, you know, he could do all of the imports whenever he wanted and test it out. But the main problem with this CSV files approach is it's hard to scale. And we started to hit some performance bottlenecks uh, pretty fast while trying to migrate the next bigger country. Fun fact is that you might think like, hey, 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 slow PHP. PHP wasn't the problem here. It was the Excel that kept on freezing. Can you tell us more about what was the next approach? So with the third country, we gave up on the CSVs and everybody was against reinventing the wheel. So we started to look for ready-made ETL tools that could help us to map the data between the systems and do the imports with a single click. And then we found Xplenty. Actually, it turned out that uh, some of our business intelligence folks were using it with happy results, so they recommended and we decided to try. And, you know, as a backend developers, we are not clickers, right, by nature, but the easiness of assembling data flow scenarios was so easy that we were simply amazed. But then it turned out it wasn't good for us. Two months later, we were looking at enormous, unreadable flows we generated. So we decided to drop it and find something that's it's easier to maintain. And you know, don't get me wrong, it's a great tool, but it wasn't good for our case. 
I must say that it was a tough moment for us. This whole thing was really important for the whole company for so many reasons, and we just lost two months. Motivation dropped a lot. Even today, I'm afraid about even thinking of converting that time to the amount of money we burned because of that. But, well, the job was still unfinished, and we wanted to move it forward. That must have been tough time, but as we know, you handled it. So the lesson learned here for us is when you want something to be done right, you should do it by yourself. And this is what we did. We said goodbye to the Xplenty and started to develop our homemade solution from scratch. And it gave us three things that I believe really we really needed back then, which is easy to scale, easy to expand, and easy to monitor both progress and problems that may occur. Ah, and one more thing. Whenever possible, this tool should be built in a way that it is as independent from the business code as possible. Why? Because while we were wait, because while we were preparing for the next merge, we wanted the whole IT department to work as usual without any interruptions. Along with the transfer of subsequent countries, the amount of data was also increasing. But how did you prepare the scripts to operate on a larger scale? To answer this one, let's talk numbers a bit. So what almost every system has? Users. And apart from the users, we also have doctors and the patients. So let's take users and doctors because, as an example, because these numbers are, at least to me, impressive uh, in our case and reflect the general amount of the data in the whole database. So in Australia, we had 16,000 of users and 34,000 of doctors. And I don't have exact data, but it took us a couple of hours to migrate those two entities. And to compare this to Brazil, which we run on our homemade tool, it had around 2 millions of users and 600,000 of doctors. And it took us around 16 minutes to migrate compared to a couple of hours in Australia for less more. And also one more word why I picked users and doctors here. They usually have the largest amount of relations across the whole database, right? Because doctors have their addresses, for example, in our case. Addresses have calendars, calendars have visits and services attached. And also they have users who book the visits. And users, on the other hand, have opinions which have relations to the doctors, addresses, moderations, statuses, and so on. You know what I mean and dozens of cascading relations here that grow along with these two. What stack did you pick finally? We used technologies that we already knew, like PHP, Symfony, RabbitMQ, or MongoDB. Can you find better performing tools on the market? Surely you can, but the trick here is it's not worth it until you don't know them well. Another advantage is that with this approach, you can easily hook up your merging code to the target app. And having all these shiny toolsets, what's the best way to pull data from the source and process it? To import a dataset, we connect directly to the source database. You may ask why. And the answer is because it's quick, way quicker than, for example, using the API, which adds the whole HTTP stack, framework, DB abstraction, and stuff that you don't need. 
You don't need that here, basically. You need fast access to data. And you know what's fun with the database queries. Or you can optimize them or use different approaches while building them. So, for example, in our case, we figured out that it's best to perform a single query per data type. Sure, of course, it's sometimes we wait even a minute or two for the huge result set. But we run the query only once. And after that, we don't care about the database latency. After that, we validate every row of data we received. Next, we discard wrong records and push the good ones as the tasks on the RabbitMQQ. And one record should equal one task. And the tasks are consumed by workers, and workers is where the scaling magic happens. In bigger countries, we used to have hundreds of them, like uh, two or three hundred, if I remember correctly. It was awesome to watch it. This magic sounds very interesting to me. Maybe you can tell us more about what stands behind this. Well, it's it's quite simple, actually. After reaching the worker, a task is processed by the dedicated handler. And one important thing here is that one task type equals one handler. Basically, sometimes it leads to code duplication, of course, but at the same time, it gives you the code separation, which is the thing you really want in here. Uh, but back to the topic, the task reaches the handler and then it operates on the data it received, converts it to the target format, fires triggers, generates some URLs for some records, then persists it in the target database. After that, one more important thing takes place. Handler for the whole time monitors what happens with the import. And if you're kind of design patterns junkie, the compositions and decorators here is the place they shine, really. At the end, the handler persists the result in the MongoDB. It might be a success, of course, or the failure, along with some debug metadata. Then we are able to monitor it in the real time using the command line tool we created. And what about ensuring the correctness of relationships? Ha, huh, this is a tricky and actually an easy one at the same time. So let's use another example here to explain this a bit. Let's say that in the first stage we import the doctor's basic data, then in the second stage we import their addresses. Mm, during stage one, you have to keep original doctor's IDs somewhere, right? So in the second stage you can relate to them and join the addresses to the doctors in a proper way. And from the past we learned that storing Uh, the external IDs of the doctor in the doctor table is not a good idea. You introduce temporary stuff to your business data. You force other teams that use that data to also handle your column. Then, after successful import, these columns are useless. So, if you import, for example, 100 different entities, you have 100 columns to remove. So, better approach, in my opinion, is to gather all of the external IDs into a single table. It's a simple structure. You can name those columns like, for example, external ID, your ID, and the data type like doctor, address, service, or whatever. You intentionally break some database building good practices here, of course, but you gain the advantage of having everything in a single place, detached from your business. And don't worry about the performance, because even with a couple of millions of records, it's just a matter of a good good indexes setup. The chances of you importing all the data correctly are small. How did you handle this challenge? Best approach here is to be prepared to lose some data. Uh, Applications are different, validation rules are different, and sometimes there's not much you can do about it. For example, 
in the source database you can have this phone field. You have the same field in the target system, but it contains a single phone number. Where in the source you sometimes see three different phone numbers separated by comma. Important thing here is to find a good balance between the amount of the data that you are prepared to lose and the time you want to sacrifice to recover as much as possible. It's always very interesting to me to talk about failures, to learn from mistakes and draw conclusions. What was the biggest one in the context of merge? So the biggest one we had can show you how dangerous errors related to the async processing can be. We use RabbitMQ as a communication layer between some of the services and after completing one of the merges and hitting the production, we basically forgot to switch from the test rabbit to the production one. So two of our main services got out of sync pretty fast. And it's hard to fix those issues because config is the easy part here. You have to regenerate basically all of the lost tasks to restore sync. Couple of us stayed in the office with very little sleep for around 30 hours in order to fix this. Okay, so how can you minimize the risk of similar setbacks? I guess it's really hard to avoid everything, but to keep the chances as small as possible, we were working together on the same code for most of the time. Really, I believe that people totally underestimate the power of pair programming. Some say it makes software development slow, inefficient and so on, but for us it was really awesome technique to double check every line we write, talk about it and exchange point of views. And we've been doing this pretty extensively, like for example booking small conference room for next two weeks in advance. What if it doesn't work out though? What happens when a worst case scenario comes into play? Of course we were aware of what's the stake and at some point if everything fails it would be better to cancel the merge and try again in the next couple of days or weeks but at the same time when you're sitting in the office it's 4am and you notice some serious problems you keep in mind that somewhere there on the other side of the world there's a few dozen of people waiting for you to finish and some of them, you know, they traveled thousands of kilometers a couple of days before to support the team on the site and train them. It costs a lot of money. You have to be aware of that. Of course, in some cases, rolling back is way cheaper than a few hotel nights and plane tickets. But in the end, you feel the pressure and you want to give your 100% to deliver. I'd like to ask you about the team that work on the merge. What do you think is the best personality for this challenge? You might think that for such a task you need expert tech junkies, but the truth is that apart of their proficiency, you need long runners because they're gonna be patient with such a long-term task. And you need happy people, those who bring a great atmosphere to the table, who do not want to fight the others, but to cooperate together. People who have different opinions on some subjects, but at the same time they respect the others because that way you can look at the same problem from different angles and find a better solution together. And I'm not only talking about the tech team here only, with product people included. I'm talking about everyone involved because outside of the tech you will surely have people from customer support or folks who will spread the knowledge about Dynia app to the whole company so everybody knows how to use it. Okay. Unfortunately, we're coming to the end of the episode, but I have one more question for you. What can you tell our listeners who maybe will stand in a similar situation? 
I learned that migrating data, regardless of whether it's a fusion of a product or just migrating from an old one to the new one, is not about the data itself, but mostly about the people and the business. You have to be aware that your job is not to just grab a shovel and throw some data from one place to another. In our case, we were also changing the way people will do their work. You need to respect that, care about everyone being prepared for the change with a good attitude. Remember that by nature, people don't like changes, so it's a really hard task. When we were migrating data in small three to five people squads, hitting the office in the middle of the night, sleeping on the coaches, it was sometimes abstract for us, right? But then after the merge of the last country, one of our POs involved in the process, Michał, gathers everyone involved, other POs, people responsible for training the doctors, the support team and so on. And we went together for some urban games. And as I said, it used to be three to five of us during the merge nights, but it was a full, huge bus of over 50 people involved in this project. For me, it was not only a project, but also an awesome two years long journey that I'm really happy I was a part of because of the people I worked with. Hans, thank you very much for this talk. It was super interesting for me to get to know your field better. Thanks a lot. Thank you for being with us today. In the next episode, I will talk with Łukasz Barulski, a team leader and SRE in Doc Planner. Don't forget to subscribe our podcast, and if you want to be updated, follow us on Facebook and other social media. You will find the links in the description of this episode.